Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for joining us on 42 radio stations, one of them around the country, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're going to talk about the U.S. office market. The office market's been very interesting around the U.S. And where we sit in Atlanta in our studio, it's been a very interesting market. We've seen the market tighten up. We've seen rents increase more than than we've seen in the past. So please welcome my guest. We have Walter Page. He's director of research with CoStar Group. Walter, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it, Walter. So what are you guys seeing for the U.S. office market overall so far uh, this year? How is it performing? Uh, exceptionally well. Uh, let's, let's run through the numbers here. Mm-hmm. Office vacancy rates are now down to 11%, so they declined 20 basis points in the quarter and 60 basis points from a year ago. This is the uh, lowest level. We've had five years in a row of declining vacancy. Uh, we're very close to 2005 levels terms of occupancy, so we're near peak levels of what we had last time. Rent growth is the fastest of this market cycle uh, on a nationwide basis is 4.3%. A year ago at this time, it was 3.8%. So that's a very solid number uh, if you consider that inflation's running like 1.7%. So that's a very significant uh, increase in rents, and we also have a burn off of free rent. Now that's the increase in the last year last year okay wow. so um and and we have markets like san francisco cbd just keeps plucking along uh year over year is 19 percent. so it's amazing um in some of these markets overall the demand number was exceptional too uh we had 30 million square feet of net absorption in the past quarter and we've hit a milestone of 101 million square feet over the past year so the first time since 2007 that we've hit this number this would be a rate of demand growth of about 1.4%, which is a pretty good number, but remember the job growth number is close to 2%, so there actually it could be even more op- demand growth in the future. Uh, in terms of construction, we're at 15 million square feet delivered this past quarter, or half the rate of net absorption. We currently have 128 million square feet uh, underway across the country, so that's up 14% from a year ago. Uh, we have a number of markets like New York has 14 million square feet underway, 12 million square feet underway in Houston. We have eight markets that have between four and eight million square feet underway, and we have 12 metros across the country between one and four million square feet. So roughly half the markets in the country have a significant level of new construction now. Well, it sounds like from what you're saying, it's really time to build more new supply. Uh, you know, when we've looked at the, the numbers, we actually see that the vacancy rates for the newer uh, buildings, those built since 2008, and actually even since 2000, have a vacancy rate that is below the national average. This normally doesn't happen because of new construction, but the, this is an indication that there is a shortage of this new space. It depends on which markets you're in. Uh, but it may be a great time to start building uh, office buildings. You know, and that's interesting, Walter, because I think our our listeners that are in the office market, they see it, they feel it, they understand it. But I think our listeners that might be involved in other sectors or or just driving down the road because they run a company, uh, they might not realize this office market is this strong because, you know, we keep hearing of 
of companies using less space and people working at home and the job uh, you know job market not increasing fast enough. But from what, what you're saying with these numbers, boy, we've got plenty of demand. Plenty of demand, especially for nice space. Yeah. And what about for maybe spaces that aren't so nice, maybe in the, the B or, or C properties? What are you seeing there? Well, okay, so let's put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. The demand for nice space, which we would call four- and five-star space or eight class A space, is growing at three times the rate of demand growth for the not-so-nice space. Wow. So we have 2.5% growth in demand for the four- and five-star space, versus 0.8% growth for the not-so-nice space. Mm -hmm. So clearly, this flight to quality is really, really strong. And, you know, if you were to compare this back to the prior cycle, the flight to quality is holding on a lot longer. um, And it is definitely a a big trend that we see across the market. And why do you think that we're seeing that trend? Well, if you're going to put people into less space per... Uh, you know, less office space per square foot mm-hmm. that they're allocated to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably better to put them into nice space than mm-hmm. into not nice space. So that may be one of the main things. Uh, we're also just the way we work today is more collaborative, more open spaces and things like that. And I think that lends itself to also the, the flight to quality. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. If you're going to have use less space, uh, less square footage per employee, maybe you can afford nicer space. And, and I guess also you've got the job market uh, improving. So uh, nicer space may help you retain and recruit, right? Absolutely. And what about uh, central business district versus suburban? What do you see in there? Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of growth in the CBDs, but, you know, people are not really realizing that a lot of growth is also going on the suburban markets. Uh, some new numbers here. Uh, year-to-date, we have absorbed 10 million square feet in the CBD markets. That represents an annual rate of absorption of about 0.7%. For comparison, the suburban markets have absorbed four times more space than the CBD markets uh, and are growing at double the rate, a 1.3% rate. Um, So uh, clearly, we're, we're seeing... Um, strong demand in both um, CBD and suburban markets. Uh, in particular, we find that we call the close-in uh, prime suburban or, you know, the, the close-in markets like you're in Atlanta, uh, the central perimeter or Buckhead uh, would be the markets that people are really uh, gravitating to. Okay. And so what do you expect moving forward, Walter? It seems like you're you're bullish on the market. What do you expect, say, for the next year? Okay. So we expect that vacancy rates, which now are 11%, are likely to decline uh, to the 10.5 to 10.3 range, bottoming out in 2017. So Mm -hmm. we've got almost two years left in occupancy gains across the markets. Now, of course, it depends on which market you're in. Uh, The rent growth that's at 4.3% right now, we expect that to moderate going forward, uh, especially in markets with significant construction like Houston. Uh, So we're expecting neighborhood of 25 to 3% rent growth for the next few years, um, still well above inflation. And then um, pretty much a, a fairly normal market 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like good news. And are there any trends that you guys are seeing in the numbers or in the way companies are using space that, that could impact the office performance moving forward? Uh, well, I mean, the biggest trend that we see is a reduction in space um, per employee. Uh, reduction in space per employee, it, it's, we've seen uh, we're at 235 square feet per employee. That's down roughly 10% from where it was 15 years ago. Uh, that's, that's a big trend. Uh, the other big trend is, you know, the open uh, collaborative workspace and then the flight to quality. Yeah. So the 235 square feet per employee, that's for all office properties all around the country on average? Yes. Okay. So uh, so what do you expect to see there? Do you expect that to continue to compress? Uh, we, we expect some further compression, but probably not as much as what we've had. Right. Um, it w- would be very likely that we could get to, you know, we're, we're forecasting a half percent per year in further compression. Okay. And what is the, the top five markets that uh, have improved the most? Uh, in terms of... Of occupancy and, and rate growth, you mentioned San Francisco. has just been going crazy, right? San Francisco, first thing, since the recession ended, has been the absolute um, stellar performing market. We've had over a 70% spike in rents since then. Uh, the next one is San Jose, mm-hmm. adjacent to, mm-hmm. and uh, likely uh, to c- come up the hills uh, on their tails will be the East Bay uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other markets that we've seen significant uh, positive trends, you know, Denver, mm-hmm. CBD, rent growth 9.4% year over year. Mm-hmm. Seattle, 7.5% rent growth year over year. New York, 5.8%. Miami, 54 so it's a pretty broad base of uh, recovery. The the markets that are trailing, however, would be uh, Washington, D.C., and Houston. Interesting. Well, next I want to ask you about the investment market and see how this great performance is impacting that. So stay with us. We'll have more on the investment market with Walter Page with the CoStar Group. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the U.S. office market. My guest is Walter Page. He's Director of Research with the CoStar Group. And Walter, we're talking about the performance of the office market. It's been great. We're seeing great absorption, uh, rent rate growth, occupancy growth. So what's that doing to the office investment market? What are you guys seeing for volume of sales? How about a 20% increase in sales over last year? And we're basically at the highest level ever recorded outside of 2007 when equity office uh, last traded. Wow. Um, so we, we're at $92 billion of sales so far in the first three quarters of the year. Uh, the highest it's ever been in the first three quarters of the year was $117 billion, and that included uh, nearly $60 million, I mean billion dollars accounted for by equity office. So the reality is the sales volume today uh, with absent a single massive um, transaction is is exceptionally high. 
Oh, that is remarkable, and that, that kind of, that's what we sense as we're selling office properties. It's a, there's a lot of demand, and, and there should be, I guess, with, with the outlook and the way it's been performing, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, capital markets like us, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, stands up very well relative to the stock market and actually the bond market. So what's that doing to cap rates uh, for some uh, various classes of properties? So, well, okay, so what we've seen is that the cap rates for the best properties have compressed, um, but not nearly as much as the uh, Class C-type properties, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're starting to see is that investors are fanning out, looking, f- they're willing to take more risk, and so the cap rates for the best office buildings in most markets is about 5%. The cap rates for Class C segment has actually fallen by 70 basis points over the past year to 7.1%. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing some compression in the cap rates uh, by class mm-hmm. uh, as people fan out to, to find other investments. And I think it's also indication of uh, investors, uh, value-add investors, opportunistic investors having plenty of capital. Yeah, and I guess if uh, uh, the nicest properties cap rates are getting to compress, uh, they're, they're having to look for yield somewhere, right? Yes. So what else is in these numbers, um, Walter, that kind of jump out to you? I mean, it's pretty amazing, all this demand. Uh, is this a lot of foreign capital? Is this because interest rates are so, so low? What should we make of this? Uh, well, okay, so there's a lot of things that jump out at me <laughs> about the data. There is a lot of foreign capital. Um, you know, some of this foreign capital isn't necessarily as foreign as, as what you would think, but, I mean, for example, um, uh, you have in uh, Atlanta, you have the Monarch Center, uh, New York Common, uh, and Abu Dhabi sold that to Highwood uh, Properties, so that's a case where a uh, foreign investor sold something. Uh, on the other hand, in Seattle, we had Beacon Properties sell the Columbia Center to GAW uh, Capital Partners, which is actually a German investment uh, arm. So we, we do see some international investment activity uh, going on in the marketplace. Uh, and we also see uh, uh, increased willingness to take on risk. And I guess that would be the other thing that we're seeing. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And from what you're saying, maybe uh, a lot of people are perceiving that risk to, to be very low. So what do you expect for cap rates moving forward? So obviously we have this expectation that interest rates will eventually rise by the Federal Reserve. We think the market is anticipating this to some degree. So our assumption is that over the next few years, we're going to get uh, in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 basis point increase in cap rates, while interest rates are expected from the forward futures curve increasing in the neighborhood of 70 basis points. So uh, we think that the markets are anticipating that. So then are we at the top of the market then for a lot of these assets right now? In terms of cap rates, yes. Uh, in terms of pricing, no. Okay. And the reason why I'm saying that is that within the office sector, there's a lot of embedded rent growth. That is the difference in the uh, today's rent versus the market rent. 
So, for example, in the typical office asset, it would be about a 10% differential. So let's say um, you're paying $20 rent, the market might be 22 In San Francisco, that difference is 33%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so assuming that we have relatively stable cap rates that rise just a little bit, the NOI growth and the growth in rents that we anticipate will vastly outpace um, or have the value of pace vastly outpace the change in the cap rate picture. That's a very good distinction, too, because I think some people taking a, just a, a cursory look would say, well, you know, interest rates are going to impact cap rates. But uh, like you say, if we're going to have NOI growth uh, and we're having the, the rents rise this much, that's a very good point. And I guess that's why we're seeing a, a lot of volume in this sales market. Yeah, interesting. So, what are some market areas, some cities uh, that you think might be good bets to invest in? So, generally, there's a couple themes I like. Uh, one is we like markets that have good drivers of um, growth and have limited construction. Well, there's no good drivers in Atlanta. They're all terrible drivers. Well, Atlanta, Atlanta <laughs> is actually one of those uh, markets. All right. Um, the East Bay. Orange County, Atlanta, all stack up very well um, because the level of construction today relative to normal levels is, is actually pretty low. The demand numbers are, are fairly strong, uh, and we, we think that those markets have opportunity, uh, principally because the rents aren't high enough to support construction on a wide-scale basis. Uh, so we would expect there will be some rent pops that will cause value pops, making those good opportunities. Um, some other markets, the Florida markets show up really well. Uh, Phoenix shows up reasonably well. Denver shows up reasonably well. Um, so we have a, a number of markets that offer great opportunity. And there's, are there some markets where you're seeing um, demand for space uh, decline or absorption issues that uh, investor may want to stay away from. Well, <laughs> Houston <laughs> is the uh, market that I think investors are are shying away from. Mm-hmm. Although the numbers haven't declined nearly as much as I thought they would decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, principally, you know, we see weakness in the oil market combined with which will limit demand, and then uh, really high supply levels. There's 12 million square feet underway in Houston. Uh, This will cause office vacancies in Houston to rise over a two-year period uh, of over 4%. We expect that Houston rents will decline in the neighborhood of 5 to 7% during that time period, too. So um, I would be a little hesitant on going into Houston until... um, things settle out a little bit more in the oil markets and the construction pipelines uh, more fully deliver. All right. Well, that's a good tip and and certainly some great news that you shared with us, Walter, on the office market around the U.S. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And if you'd like to more, get more information from the CoStar uh, group, visit CoStar.com. They cover the entire country, all segments, great information. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the U.S. office market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. For multifamily student and senior housing, 
to NetLease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit InterfaceConferenceGroup.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about the U.S. office market. Please welcome my next guest. It's Richard Rhodes. He's CEO of Cressa. Richard, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. And uh, first of all, I'd like to ask you, you know, you're, you're on the front lines. Your guys are on the front lines of dealing with landlords and tenants today. What are you seeing as trends for rental rates and incentive packages? Well, I would say that the greatest trend is this live-work-play environment and how that has uh, sort of been a magnetic pull for uh, both landlords and tenants. You know, most of the development, both from a residential and commercial perspective, is around public transportation hubs where people, as I said, can live, work, and play. Um, so if you're going to see speculative development, it will not be on the outskirts of a particular jurisdiction. It'll be in those areas. As far as jurisdictional incentives go, uh, in my experience, it's still driven primarily by growth, new jobs, if you would, new full-time employees. Um, many jurisdictions have formulas in place, but I always like to put it in two buckets. You have the statutory bucket, which is by law what um, jurisdictions will do for tenants who are growing. And then you have the discretionary bucket, which is the negotiation piece. So if you're fortunate to be running around with a very large corporate user, or if you are one yourself, you can dip a little deeper into that discretionary bucket. Nice. And is the market overall, I know it's different for each building and sub-market, but overall, is the market kind of a landlord's market and not a tenant's market? I, I would say, generally speaking, no. Now, I live in the Washington region. Um, in my 32 years of doing tenant representation, I can only rem remember one very, very tight market, which was the dot-com boom in the late 90s, early 2000s. Other than that, tenants have always been able to get rental abatement, their improvements paid for to some extent. Um, I would say over the last 10 years, maybe the biggest change is the fact that landlords want to hold their rental rates uh, for purposes of refinancing or sale of the building, but they're more willing to provide those upfront concessions I mentioned to offset the rents. Um, you know, we're bouncing off the, a bad economy off the bottom, so the market is definitely improving. But I would say, uh, except for a few sub-markets, it's still tilted in the tenant's favor right now. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. And, uh, you know, and of course, Cresta, most of my listeners know, kind of focuses on representing tenants. So um, let, let's ask you this. What about the, the lack of new supply? I mean, there's been a severe lack of new supply in the office market in most markets, and I guess they're around D.C. as well. How is that impacting the market? Well, when, whenever that happens, you end up in an absorption market, right, because you're not putting any new uh, new vacancy on the market. However, with the economic downturn, tenants uh, be, became much more uh, fiscally conscious, and they started to lay out their space more efficiently. And the result of that was that more vacancy ended up on the market anyway. So um, I, I, I do think that uh, we are in, a, in an absorption world, but the demand is only just now coming back. So as I said before, in the live-work-play environments, in certain metropolises, in certain sub-markets, you probably feel the market getting a little tighter. 
Um, but, you know, again, the tenant, um, for the most part, still has the upper hand. That's driven by size, by the way. A 5,000-foot tenant is going to have many, many, many more options than a 200,000-foot tenant. So it's just a function of who you are. Right, right. Good point. We're talking with Richard Rhodes, the CEO of Cressa, and they, they represent a lot of office tenants with a focus there. And you mentioned less square footage, I mean more efficiency by these tenants. Uh, what are you seeing on trends there as far as uh, square footage per employee? Is that adjusting yeah. any? Yeah, so that, so that was the trend. If I was going to use the average user, let's call it a nonprofit or let's say a technology company 10 years ago or a government contractor, Generally speaking, we would all say 225 to 250 square feet per person. I would say, uh, with some exceptions, certain associations, but the technology contractor market is under 200 square feet per person. That was the trend, as I mentioned before, when the economy went bad. Let's get as many people as we can into the space so we can save money. Um, this is no longer a one-size-fits-all environment, and I think tenants are realizing that that wasn't necessarily the best move for me to try and uh, achieve. So you're starting to see a little pushback where, and this happens, you know, when the economy gets better and um, businesses start making more money, they, be, they become a little freer with their office space. And I'm starting to feel that trend a little bit. So it wouldn't surprise me over the next two or three years if we saw the square foot per employee rise a little bit again. I don't know if it'll ever go back to the, let's use law firms, 1,000 square feet per attorney, where attorneys are now, you know, in the six to 700 square foot range. But in some of these other businesses, you may not see, you may see more private office, collaboration rooms, uh, those sorts of things that had sort of gone away a bit. Great. Well, Richard, thanks for joining us. Good information as usual. Stay tuned. We'll have more on the office market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about the U.S. office market. Please welcome my next guest. It's Dave Brown. Dave is principal with TVS Design. They do work all over the country. An architectural firm. They have offices in Atlanta, in Chicago, China, and du- Dubai. <laughs> I can say it right. Never <laughs> been there yet. Thanks for joining us today in Studio My One. Pleasure. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And you lead the office segment group, right? So you guys are looking at and, and planning and designing office space all over the country, including large corporate environments. So, you know, I think our audience is is wants to know about kind of the current trends. It seems we hear that things are changing pretty fast, more people per space, but then we hear that, that companies are real concerned with recruiting and retention. What are some of the trends you're seeing right now? Yeah, well, I, you know, you're right. And I think, you know, the biggest trend obviously remains the same. We're, we're doing a lot of open, flexible office space. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think anybody's doing cube farms and C-suites too much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, really mobile technology has had a huge impact on the design of office space. And, and um, you know, there's just a lot more. There's a, there's a varied work environments that's po- made possible by not being tethered to the wall with a, with a phone cord and a, a VGA cable. So I think you're seeing a lot more team rooms and, and group workstations 
the the individual you know dedicated workspaces uh, for the most part I think a lot of a lot of groups are starting to reduce those um, in, in lieu of in lieu of those those uh, collaborative environments um, and where they have them they're shrinking in size I mean densities are certainly going up in office spaces and we see that in RFQs and RFPs all the time you know what uh, in a suburban office RFP where it used to be four or five per thousand to park a car, it's now six. And so that's a, an indication that they're just putting more people in office buildings, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, fewer drywall partitions, certainly, you know, demountable partitions that are that are trans, transparent, that allow more daylight, more views out of the space. Um, sustainable design and energy efficiency are huge drivers in the design of office space. So I think everybody's trying to maximize um, um, those, you know, that that type of uh, sustainable aspect to get the lead point, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal. Are you really seeing more of it? It seems like in the downturn, people kind of went away from it because of the cost. Uh, but uh, is it back now where the economy's back, real estate's back enough that we can come in and, and have sustainable products in these buildings? I mean, like we're in a very nice building here where our office and our studio is, but still we don't have lights that, that you know, there's a lot of technology that's really not being used. I think, you know, we are seeing it mm -hmm. for sure. I think it, and it really depends too, maybe in some of the commercial work we do, the speculative office, there's not as much focus, mm -hmm. right? But certainly in the build the suit stuff, which is the stuff that's sort of leading us out of this recession right now, yeah. it's a big focus. I mean, there's there's a there's a priority that most of our clients are putting on um, employee well-being, and mm -hmm. and they wanna they wanna be socially conscious and 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 do the right thing for the environment. So yeah, it's it's a big driver. What are they doing, if anything, for? more people per square footage related to noise and related to spreading uh, germs and you know, when you know sometimes <laughs> it seems like somebody's sick and then there's a lot of people sick at the office you know right like me right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I think uh, you know it's a good point we there there is uh, we're doing two projects right now that are using noise canceling um, devices so it's it's uh, speakers in the in the ceiling that just pump in white noise um, but you're right, in an open environment, you don't have that privacy, and um, and so you do have to supplement. We use that here. We just pump in Journey songs. <laughs> <laughs> so they're using that, but for germs, is there anything that in the design of the building that you can do there? No, never. it's never, you know, yeah. never come up. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, what about older buildings where you guys are going in, say, maybe a corporate environment or something, and they're trying to, to make an older building uh, work? for today's workforce and trends yeah I, you know it's interesting I just it's you know, what's driving office building design more than anything right now are, are 80 million 20 to 30 year old Millennials you know and they want to they want to live in hip environments and urban environments they want to walk to work they want to be you know they want to be environmentally sounds conscious. Pulled rotten to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the reality is that's a huge driver yeah. and um, and they also want to they, they, they don't want to be in dad's office building you know they want something that a lot of these guys are, 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 are running their own companies and they want to be in an office building that speaks to their brand and uh and you know dad's old office building out you know that insular building that sits out in a field in the suburbs just doesn't do it mm -hmm. and uh, what's really interesting though and i think and i've talked about this before is that um, 
you know, if that environment, that urban hip environment's not available for whatever reason, they don't have enough space in the city, the, the real estate cost is too high, then developers and owners are actually taking the best parts of that and they're exporting it to the suburbs. And we're seeing that in some of the campus uh, work we're doing in the suburbs where we're literally building the infrastructure around the use. Um, you know, Atlanta right now is doing that with the Falcons. You know, they're, they're actually building the infrastructure around the, the, the stadium. And so we see that, you know, we're seeing that more and more often in suburban office space where the infrastructure comes, you know, concurrent with the design of the building. Right. And I guess you're having some issues when you're retrofitting a building. If there's put more people per square footage, right, with, with your systems, your heating, air, your parking and things that you guys are having to go in and redesign? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's that is a that is an issue. Yeah, well, it seems like uh, I was talking to uh, Mitch Rochelle with PwC uh, the other day, and he was talking about kind of the office buildings around the country are kind of getting old, right? Like we haven't been building enough new buildings. So I guess we'll have to get busy uh, building new buildings. And we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about net zero. We're going to talk about sustainability and have some other tips related to the office market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us today. We're talking about the U.S. office market. We have Dave Brown here with us with TVS Design, an architectural firm that works all over the country on office properties. And we're talking about the office market. And Dave, you mentioned sustainability is a big thing. And we've heard a lot of talk about net zero, which sounds like a Coca-Cola drink to me, (laughs) but net zero, right? So very sustainable buildings, right, that that aren't using utilities outside their own uh, footprint, right? So is is net zero really here? Is it here to stay? You know, what are you seeing? Well, we uh, it's interesting because we, we are working on a project right now mm-hmm. that, that was envisioned as a net zero energy and a net zero water campus initially. Mm-hmm. And um, so that really set the design direction and, and some of the priorities for the owner um, up front. And yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, it's it's here to stay. I mean, it's not prevalent right now, uh, but um, you know, California, for example, has already adopted uh, into the energy code a mandate that by the year 2020, all residential projects are to be net zero. Wow. And by 2030, all commercial projects. So, and it was it's all equally interesting. Yeah, the California is the ninth largest economy on the planet. And so there's a lot of purchase power behind that incentive. So I think what's going to happen is it's going to spur technology and advancements uh, of technologies that are going to support that mandate. And as a result, the trickle down, you know, I think other states, there's still seven states in the United States that don't have minimum energy codes, which, I, which wow. blows my mind today. Yeah. 
But I think what that's going to do is elevate everybody's game, and then those technologies are going to become cheaper and more available. Yeah, it seems like what happens in California kind of trickles down sometimes to the rest of the country. So I'm wondering when our, our, our ladies, our girls in Georgia are going to be as pretty and fit as the girls in California. <laughs> that hasn't all trickled down here. Sorry, uh, honey. Uh, no, there's very beautiful women in Atlanta. I'm just kidding. Um, and, but you talked about this this facility you're working on, that's, and that's for LPL Financial, right? And it's Correct. in Fourth Mill, South Carolina. Tell us some of the aspects of this new uh, new design that are a little different. Well, I think, um, you know, with, uh, with LPL, um, you know, the net zero energy aspects of the campus were really big drivers early on, the net zero energy piece. Um, the uh, net zero water are, are some of the aspects that actually survive through design. I mean, we're that, that project's under construction right now. Mm-hmm. Net zero water simply means that the building uses, it, it, it uses for process water all the water it harvests from the site. So it's, mm-hmm. in other words, it doesn't have to tap into domestic water supply for process water, irrigation, flushing toilets. Is it using rainwater? Like um, it does collect rainwater as okay. well. Okay. So. Um, Net zero energy is that the energy the energy used by the building is harvested on site. You know that it's it, again it's not tapping into the grid, mm-hmm. and um, that's a little bit more difficult yeah. to achieve. It's not impossible. In fact, it's it's being done all over the country right now. But again, I think that uh, with further advancements in technology that support net zero energy, it's going to become more and more possible. Now, for a net zero uh, building. How cost-effective is that? How many years is the return there? Because I know it's got to be a lot more expensive to build. Yeah, it's definitely more expensive to build. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, if you look at some examples like LED lighting, for example, Mm -hmm. I mean, that technology 10 years ago was outrageously expensive. Mm -hmm. It's still more expensive than traditional fluorescent, you know, the T5, T8s that everybody's using in their office space. But... Um, you know, that, that, that price point has come way down. There's maybe a 20% premium now to, to buy the fixtures, but it lasts three and a half times as long. It, it has better light rendering. You know, it, it has, it's more controllable. So I think that uh, if, if LED is, is a good sort of uh, measure of, of where this technology is going and how advancements can bring it down, I think that, again, that's all going to trickle down into controls and HVAC and so forth. That's great. I mean, we're, we're in LED lights here. If you notice, we have a lot of light because we're in a television studio, but it's not blinding us. It's not hot. Uh, and, yeah, they were more expensive, but uh, a lot of savings. Well, Dave, we appreciate you being here with us. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Well, and thanks for joining us out there on the 42 stations on YouTube, on iTunes, and the show website. Join us next week. We're going to talk about the U.S. retail market. Till next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and lap, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.